0: Hello, welcome to the Find Your Calm podcast. I'm Noelle C. Guevara, a pastor, educator, and writer learning to navigate faith and family and being a person in this chaotic life. Here in season two, we're doing a deep dive into some of the ways that life can be anxiety inducing and what it looks like to find your calm in the midst of it all. And today I have a couple of special guests who are going to share some insight from a unique location. So in my last episode, I talked about weathering a marriage crisis and I shared from my perspective, which I hope honored my husband Matt's story, but it doesn't tell his story or really the greater story of what it looks like to walk a road towards recovery or healing. I don't think you can talk about the ways life can be anxiety inducing and finding your calm in the midst without including that perspective, the perspective of finding calm in recovery and healing. So I've invited my husband, Matt, along with another friend, Todd, and they're going to share with us some insights and truth that they've gained in their journeys. Matt and Todd host their own podcast. It's called The Recovery Guys Podcast. And if you haven't checked it out, I'm confident that after today's conversation, you'll definitely want to catch up on their first season and jump into the second. Here's the truth. I don't know how to avoid chaos or how to prevent the anxiety that chaos inevitably causes, but I have had more than a little practice in finding my calm when life beckons anxiety instead. If you're looking for space to take a deep breath, steady yourself and discern what you need to move forward, you're right where you belong. Listen in for a few simple tips to find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. Welcome, Matt and Todd. Thanks for being here on the podcast. I get to have a conversation today with someone other than myself. I'm excited. I'm we'll glad do. you're here.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to jump in with you.
0: Yeah. So I would love it if you guys could just share briefly, kind of get us started here with uh, who you are, especially as it relates to today's topic, how you know each other, what led you to start a podcast, and what it's about.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll start with my introduction. I'm a humbled follower of Jesus. I'm in recovery. I struggle with anger, pride, and selfishness. I celebrate and find joy in being a dad and husband and serving kids on Monday nights. I get to run a small business too, which is super fun. My name's Matt. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Hey. Oh, me. Yeah, gotcha. I, I
1: should. you I want should, me to introduce you? I should pick up your cues better. <laughs> hey, I'm a grateful and humbled follower of Jesus Christ. I'm in recovery. I struggle with approval addiction. My name is Todd. Hey, Tom. I actually come from a little different angle. I'm trained as a clinical therapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I've always worked with kids and families my whole career. Uh, So that's my expertise part of this, but I'm also a husband, uh, a father, and I'm a man in recovery. Uh, I'm also a part of the leadership of our church, which is a huge, incredible honor because I thought for sure that I had blown that opportunity to be useful to God. Uh, So that's where we come from. Man, how do we start that podcast, Matt? You know, it actually, it, so the funny, it's not funny, but it's, to look back on it now, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, Matt had this great idea, and I was all, I was all down with it. Like, he was deep in recovery, so was I. And he's like, I really want to do this podcast. I've got cool microphones. I've got Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Headphone coils. Headphone coil. <laughs> and I'm like, I think it's a great idea. And he talked to people about getting it started and... It
2: just fell flat. It was like, you <laughs> oh, really... Somebody face. told me, is like, hey, I, I think the reason is because nobody thinks you're safe on the internet.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> he knew my
2: story. And I was like, oh, ouch, dude. That yeah. was like the Batman slap, you know, of Robin and the meme. That's, that's what that felt. That, that had some stank on it. But yeah, uh, I was thinking back to when I first met you, Todd. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the green room at our church. Yeah, I was like speaking that day, maybe or preaching, and you were on the worship team. And I thought, is it literally this? This is what I thought. This guy likes puns. That's what, <laughs> that's what came to mind. He ain't lying. I was folks. like, he likes puns, and I just remember laughing a lot on that Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. But I really came to know you through the ministry of Celebrate Recovery right. here at our church. You led the one-on-one class that I took on my second night because uh, we didn't have one on that first night. You often led share group, and then eventually, like a year or so later, you were one of the leaders uh, of my step study uh, that I attended. And we had this idea, or I had this idea to start a podcast, talked with a bunch of people, uh, did not fly, which was a good thing, I think, you know, and God really used that. And then it just came to be where we formed the Recovery Guys podcast, almost from a desire to just spend more time together. Oh yeah. Definitely. And, you know, build a friendship. It was like during the pandemic. So it took a really long time to get going. <laughs> it took yeah. like a year to produce those first eight episodes, but it was, it was well worth it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Matt's obviously talked about what, what is it about? It's a, it's about recovery. I mean, it's, Not just us talking about our journeys. We talk about it often that we're not the gold standard for recovery, that our story, God's God's story through our experience in recovery is what we hope to bring to the material. And the first season was all about self-awareness because... You know, the
2: internet needs more work on self-awareness, right? Yeah, we realized very quickly that most, it was like 90% of the podcasts that were available on Apple Podcasts on self-awareness only had one episode. So they (laughs) gave up. And it's like self-awareness is a superpower. Yeah, You know, if you really put the time and effort into it, but it's a superpower that, rarely people persist in and endure in, and I know that's, you know, kind of the topic for today. We defined self-awareness, and that was really the the topic for season one of the Recovery Guys podcast. And self-awareness being the conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires. And so we just talked about that and the journey of recovery and growing in knowledge of God. Yeah. That's what we've
1: been doing. And we just started season two. And what we're doing in season two, really still from a center of self-awareness and self-knowledge, but we're walking through the eight principles of celebrate recovery, how that really is applied to both of us through our recovery work, but also in our continued work together. One of the things I love besides spending times with Matt, time with Matt, is season one and now starting in season two, we only share the framework of what we want to talk about, Mm -hmm. but we come from different perspectives. Matt is more theologically driven. Mm -hmm. I come from more of the psychological, social work therapist background, but what we find every episode is there's a confluence, and that's just the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, So it's as much as we hope that all, I think we're at nine, listeners that we have out there in the universe. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah but as much as we hope obviously that it it gives hope it gives energy it gives some structure yeah. the thing that we find is that our work separately in recovery and just learning ourselves better we breathe into that with each other so yeah it's it's uh, it's one of my favorite times i get to spend whenever we get a chance to record in
2: the jesus bunker that's, that's what right. we like to call it that's right we've moved around multiple rooms of of the church you know, wherever we can find uh, a nook and cranny to to uncoil our Jimi Hendrix headphone wires, maybe that should be the byline of our, our <laughs> nook and
1: cranny, nook, and, nook cranny. and cranny with Matt and Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a baking show. It does. It, it does.
0: does. It does. I love that, um, and I love the way you guys, you Todd, touched on this, but the the way you meld faith and really therapy in a sense of like that, those two backgrounds of theology and psychology, I think the church has often separated them and I think they um, have really a beautiful connection. So I appreciate that and listening to your podcast, which I love listening to, but I'm going to ask a question when we talk about a recovery journey, I imagine, I know my experience has been that a lot of people's minds immediately go to to addictions, um, like a recovering alcoholic or drug user, something like that. But I also know that's not uh, the stories that you share. So can you give our audience a picture or a definition of what you mean, what we mean when we say recovery journey?
1: Great question. It's a good center for me to go back to every once in a while. And really what I came up with, I came up with five or six things and I kept refining them. And really what I finally landed on was it's essentially recovery from insanity, Hmm. Insanity is used in all recovery terms. And so if you have some experience with a 12-step program, you know that term, right? But but I would just expand on a little bit to give everybody an understanding of what insanity means, especially from the perspective of a celebrate recovery, because there's some fairly specific language that goes with that. But insanity may be the endless impact of your hurts. Uh, it could be the destructive influence of our hang-ups, or very clearly the damage of our habits. And so when I think about like my insanity, all three applied, mm. um, just un- understanding, and we go the, go, we've go. we gone over this in our podcast, uh, the, the operational understanding of hurts, hangups, and habits and how they're interconnected. So recovery for me was the real first opportunity I had to have a structure as well as a platform for understanding how all three of those things have been active throughout my life. By gaining that understanding, it allows for change, because we can't change the things that we're not aware of. Mm. We also can't just become aware of them and expect to change. So that's why it also provides not only a platform, but a structure. And of course, Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered recovery program. So Jesus Christ is the higher power at the center of the entire process. So I can tell you very clearly that, like, I wouldn't say I have like a dual mind when it comes to recovery, but I I recognized pretty early on that the two halves of the way that I've always thought, which is what you just talked about, a very clinical understanding of how we function, but also a spiritual longing to be valuable to God and want to be connected people in an authentic way recovery for me, my journey has been melding and blending those two parts of the way I think together. There are some ways in which they don't connect and it's probably better, (laughs) Mm. but there are, there's some really powerful ways. And Matt and I talk a lot about David Benner, the author, his work of the gift of, of knowing yourself. That's where my first introduction to, oh, this is how an understanding of me at a purely interpersonal level opens doors and avenues to understanding God better, but more important, well, at least equally importantly, how badly I misunderstood grace. So for me, very specifically, the recovery journey for me is recovery from insanity into grace. Hmm. That's the best way that I can describe it for me, if that makes sense to anybody listening.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I like the, the language to describe recovery as a journey because it carries the connotation of distance traveled and leaves out an arrival, which really ticked me off when I started
0: <laughs> yeah, recovery I'm because
2: I'm so wired for achievement and accomplishment. And so when I stepped in on a Monday night for the very first time, I thought, okay, how can I get in, get out and get on with my real life? Yes, <laughs> You know, and right. I was really looking for that answer and for someone to hand, like, uh, especially when I started my step study, you were there, Todd, you know, w- when I started that step study, I thought, okay, how long, I'd, I had no idea really how long a step study took. So when I first heard, Hey, you know, with the size of this group, we could probably starting here in January, um, it's going to be maybe October, November. I'm like, what the heck is going on? <laughs>
1: this Are is not what I signed up for, you
2: know? And then it's like, okay, what happens at the end? You know, when do I get the diploma? When can I show Noel that Mm -hmm. I have graduated from recovery? Uh, And so that's why I like the journey language. As you were talking, it reminded me of something Eugene Peterson wrote. Uh, He actually wrote uh, two things along these lines um, separately. I'm just putting them together. One is the journey is the reward, Mm. which that's why I like that language for recovery. And the other one is every step in arrival. It was part of Mm. a poem that he wrote. So it was like, okay, I can treat every, um, and of course, you can hear, I know, you know, in that I'm saying, oh, well, I'm taking steps, you know, I am progressing, but at least for me, it helps to know, okay, this is not about a mile marker where someone says, and now you are recovered, Matthew. <laughs> Phase four. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not that, you know, I was thinking when I was actually talking to Noel uh, in preparation for the, for the podcast, like uh, the National Park Service rates, uh, they, they actually don't rate hikes, they rate trails, yeah. which I thought was interesting. And they rate them from easy to very strenuous. And that's dependent on two things, distance and elevation. So I've been on an easy trail before, my favorite trail. Okay. I've also been on the very strenuous trail where there was like signage that's like, you, please don't walk up here. We can't help you get down. You know, that was on Camelback uh, mountain in Arizona that says, Matt, don't, you know, at least that's how I read it. You know, it really felt like, and then there's people, you know, there was like an old guy, he's 98 or whatever. His father time has got hiking shorts on and sticks and he's running. And I'm like, huffing and puffing. We didn't even make it like, 400 feet elevation, I think, before we had to come back down. Anyway, recovery is that journey. And at times it feels easier, you know, and at other times it feels very strenuous. Mm -hmm. But but I think, you know, Eugene Peterson was right. The journey is the reward. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So something I heard you guys say is that it involves, that recovery is for people who have, have been hurt or have hurts, who maybe have some, you know, bad or maladaptive or unhelpful habits. Um, and who get hung up at times, which is really everybody. Yep. And I think that's the the shock of recovery that in the church anyways, that we think, oh, it's for those people. Right. Those people with an addiction are the only ones who need recovery. And then we recognize, oh, we have those things in common. We right. all are in need of recovery. So- So looking at your own stories, what does that look like? And I know we could do like a whole season on this question alone. I obviously know a great deal about Matt's story and I know some things about your story, Todd, but um, if you could share like where did your recovery journey begin and then what sorts of emotions um, were present in that season? And again, from walking alongside Matt through the journey, I know it wasn't easy, but here's what I'd love for you to do give us an, an honest and authentic picture of how your journey started, so how it began, and what was it like for you? What, did, what emotions or feelings were prevalent as you started that journey?
1: Yeah, so I thought about that. Again, great question. You should have a job where you ask good questions. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally thought of a, a, like a literal image, and the way that I would describe, describe it is fragmented. I was a bunch of broken pieces scattered around some were bigger than others but i, I was literally fragmented back to that recovery journey is in, is insanity that's how it's like i started my insanity ultimately resulted in a like devastating crash of consequences of my habits that's like the most straightforward word ways wordwise that i can explain it but i was fragmented I was broken, uh, completely broken. And and what's interesting, as I as I looked back over, through my recovery journey, I looked back at that, um, what I realized, thankfully, at some point, was that was going to be the only way that my recovery journey was going to be real and get started, um, which was a complete irony from how I had been trying to live my life for decades. Which is holding myself together using the hangups that had me stuck in a fragmented way, and the habits that kept breaking me further, so I was literally like like it's like I was held together by the chicken wire of my pride, and when the chicken wire got stripped away because I could not avoid the consequences of those decisions, it all fell to pieces. There was no other way that I was going to get started than there, just real quickly. The emotions that I had at that time, devastation, devastation, uh, fear. The biggest emotion that I felt at that time was just a sense of loneliness and a failure. Like I just felt like a failure. If, if anybody, I'm sure anybody listening has actually had an emotive sense of failure, that's what I felt Again, the crazy part was that's what I avoided feeling my whole life, which is why there was only one way it was going to start, and it was me starting with, I'm a failure. To this day, I have a journal that I wrote in two weeks after I hit level one of rock bottom, because there was a couple more. Oh, bro. Right? levels. Yeah. Level one of rock bottom, I went to a hermitage that I've talked about, Christ in the wilderness. I sat down with that journal. I opened it up. And the first thing that I wrote was I am a fraud and that's where I had to start. And I can tell you, I'm a, I'm a clinician. I work with emotive words and most people would say, well, failure is not an emotion. If you've ever felt it, you know what it feels like. So that's where I started. And I'm not going to go on before Matt talks about where he started.
2: Yeah. So I think for me, there was a lifetime of patterns habits you know that had that had built up hiding dishonesty manipulation anger control pride that I worked really hard at and expended a lot of energy masking to appear like everything was okay so the picture that, that came up while you were talking Todd was of you remember those toy um like uh, human figures where where they're Uh, it's like the pieces are held together by string and then you can pull it and then they stand up. And it was like, I, I was pulling very hard to stand up. And then when, you know, everything blew up in my life, it was, it was really the, the energy that I was expending the fragmentation that came uh, as a result of those habits impacted every important relationship of my, in my life. Um, All of this came to the surface and not by my own admission, and I was just simply found out, and that's what it really took to begin the process of recovery. Because I wasn't going to admit jack squat. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So, <laughs> well, uh, you and I have talked about this. Neither
1: one of us had any real history of ever doing that. Yeah, that was part of my insanity. Right. I right. I, I became enormously practiced
2: at. The chicken wire, yeah, that, that's big. What I got really, really good at, yeah, holding the string, yeah, to keep myself up and keep engaging in those same, you know, behaviors, what you termed insanity, which is a great, you know, way to describe it. Eventually, as the string wasn't, it wasn't like I let go of the string. The string was pulled out, and then now um, I'm on the floor, you know, and that led me into counseling. That led me into celebrate recovery. And it was scary. I was scared because for the first time I was seeing the truth about myself and knowing that others were seeing it as well, which was the exact opposite of what I had worked so hard to hide for a very long time. And I went through waves of depression. We've talked about that a while. Like I was depressed. It was. I am. I would say even just now after several years, you know, coming out of that and allowing the light, you know, that that comes with my personality um, to shine again, you know. But during that time, there was it was very dark. And I grieved what I had lost. I didn't know who I was. And so many important things were different. My relationship with you, Noel, our, our kids, my work, which I had prioritized for decades over and against other things. And I was thinking about, you know, those emails you get from ComEd, you know, the, the electricity provider that sends you the bar graph You know, of like illustrating how much energy the average household uses, you know, and then, and then, you know, how much your neighbors use. And then the bottom line, which extends to the next page, you know, shows how much energy you use. Shaming our
0: family of six. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's how I felt.
2: Like on the bar graph, I was using up all the energy in my relationships, in my home. And so I was depleted. I was full of shame. I was broken. Uh, the word that I like to put on it is disequilibration, you know. So like you you talk about and is really the theme of your podcast, Noel, of finding your calm. So that there's no calm when there's yeah. disequilibration. It's just so think of think of waves, you know, yeah. think of like yeah. that sound wave that's up and down and up and down and there's no, you know, straight line. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So picking up where I where I got to emotionally. I came to this realization probably during my second step study, which was about three years into recovery for me. And I'm going into my eighth year now. What I realized was after I, so there's that feeling, that emotion of failure. It's the best way I can describe it. A part of that that I, that I realized then, I didn't realize how it's, it changed until later. I was very well accustomed to shame. You use the word shame. I, I was, I knew shame. Shame was what I was trying to hide from Mm -hmm. for decades, right? That doesn't mean I wasn't, I was unfamiliar with it. I was enormously familiar with shame. So I was, it was shame. Once I got, once I went through level one of the breaking and I had a powerful moment, I don't call it a a conversion moment. I call it a crystallization moment. If you ever want to hear the story, I talk about it a little bit in our podcast, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you when I'm doing my testimony, you can come and listen to me in person It was a powerful, crystallizing moment. And for the first time in my life, I felt what I can only describe as a different kind of guilt. I knew shame. I did not know guilt as well. I thought they were the same. When I started to realize the guilt that I was feeling was not I got caught, that's shame. Hmm. The guilt I was feeling is I've hurt people that I love that deserve it the least. And I don't like that about myself. It was, for decades, it was, I have to find a way to fix this. This was, I can't be that anymore. So that's where I started, was a different kind of guilt. I come from a a, a mom, especially, who is very internally driven. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I realized is that was when Christ really said, okay, get your track shoes on. Now we're ready to go because you're finally allowing yourself to say, this is not the me I want to be. This is not the me God designed me to be. I don't want to be that other person anymore. And the fact that I have been that, it's, it's, a, it's a motivating sense of guilt. So I actually started with guilt. That may come as a surprise to some people, but it was not shame. It was guilt. And that conversion was really, really important for me. As I got started into recovery and... I got into a community that was essentially motivated, motivated by very similar emotions. What I started to feel was literally relief. Hmm. You want to talk about an unexpected emotion? Because like Matt, you just talked about, I entered a recovery like, well, wow, this might suck. <laughs> <laughs> this has a high suck quotient. <laughs> <laughs> but after not even a month or two into doing this work and step study... Every time I went to step study, I was relieved. It was the most calm that I felt throughout most of my weeks early in recovery. And my early weeks in recovery were not easy. I'm mean, We were trying to repair a marriage and doing a lot of really hard work together and sharing truths with my wife that I had never thought I would be willing or have to share. But being in a group with men... Who were embarking on a very similar journey i encountered this kind of relief that was brand new brand spanking new mm. not relief like the bark lounger right relief like catching your breath at halftime mm. I, I like to play hockey it's like get to the bench rest for 40 seconds and feel fresh that's what i started to feel so very very unexpected emotion but relief is what carried me through the earliest, most important work of my recovery. Now I can tell you, I can tell you with absolute sincerity and authenticity, I've experienced joy, real joy prior to recovery. I could probably count on my right hand how many times I really felt true joy. And now I feel joy all the time. Mm. I welcome it. I bask in it. I don't ever rush it away. It's joy. It's absolute joy. So the the emotion that I carry with me. And I'm I'm not like Jiminy Cricket. I don't have a I don't have a perfect life. I still have to deal with all kinds of garbage like everybody else. But it's joy in spite of. That's just how I feel like the this recovery journey has brought me.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Thanks for sharing. Those are hard things to talk about, I know. But having done a little recovery work myself, largely kind of coming out of watching Matt recover go into recovery and realizing, oh yes, I'm one of those people too. Mm -hmm. I've learned it's messy and it's really painful and we often avoid it for as long as possible or using me language, I avoided it for as long as possible and there's certainly a temptation or even a longing when we start the journey to get the heck out as soon as possible. Uh, like just echoing what you said of like, okay, when's the graduation? When am right. I
2: done? Can I get an When amen? am I done? Where and is
1: my banner?
0: Where's Yeah. Where's the end? And honestly, like wanting that for, you know, watching you in recovery of like, when is this over? When is yeah. he going to be oh, yeah,
2: that's done? Good.
0: You know, yeah. it was really, really hard, but Um, it's really a long obedience in the right direction. Again, just quoting uh, Eugene Peterson there. And those long obediences are very, very hard and they require long suffering. They require endurance. Um, And what scripture would really tell us are fruits grown by the good work of God's spirit because um, I surely don't produce them in and of myself. Those things don't come naturally to me, but that kind of fruit, Matt and I have talked about this is the forbearance required to walk this journey. It doesn't grow out of an anxious and white knuckled hustle for our worth kind of presence. Uh, We can't run this sort of long road without a piece that outpaces our own understanding. And this is where I get to the question of finding your calm, because that's what I talk about a lot on this podcast. Recovery isn't calm and most of what i talk about again here on this podcast isn't calm it's chaos like i talk a lot about chaos and what it means to kind of get your bearings in it to find calm in it and recovery isn't calm it's not a peaceful stroll by still waters i get that um and i know a lot of people quit somewhere along the way because it is hard and messy and you know maybe even chaotic Um, but I imagine that the endurance comes from a sense of calm found in the midst of the storm. Um, Is that a thing? And is it possible to find your calm even in the midst of a recovery journey? And what does that look like? You kind of alluded to that with it becoming joyful. So talk more about that.
2: So I love this story that David Benner tells in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself. You mentioned that earlier, Todd where it's at the end of chapter three, he introduces uh, a common character in Middle Eastern literature named Nas Rudin. I could be saying that wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> but who would I, know? I, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking you're pretty, you're right pretty on. close. Nas Rudin. I, I, I like the name, but uh, the, as the story goes, he was approaching the door of his house one night when he suddenly realized he had lost his key and he tried to look around for it, but the night was so dark he could, hardly see the ground. And so he got down on his hands and knees. He's looking, he's examining the ground where he's standing, but it was still too dark to see anything. So he moves back towards a street lamp. He gets down again and begins a meticulous examination of the area. And then a friend comes by, notices him and says, Hey, you know, asked what he was doing and and Nasrudin replies, I, I lost my key and I'm looking for it. And so the friend gets down on his hands and knees begins to search alongside him and after a while, the friend asks, do you remember where you might have lost the key? Certainly, you know, Nasrudin replies, I lost it in my house. And the friend's like, well, why are you looking for it out here? And Nasrudin answers, because the light is so much better here. And so that that story came to mind with in answer to this question, because you find your calm by looking where the light is. That's where you start, but it's unlikely that you'll find any keys there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. The the thing that I love probably more about the story than kind of that point about the light is that it shows a friend is present and is asking questions and isn't berating the person in any way. It's just, oh, hey, what are you doing? I'm looking for the key. Oh, well, I'll look with you. And that's what uh, happened I would say most poignantly in my story, that's what happened in my step study. I felt like I was alone in a battle and all of a sudden I was surrounded by other men in recovery who just showed up and were helping me look for the key no one, just like in the story, no one in that step study, because that's not what it's designed for, but nobody in that step study said, well, I know where the key is. Let me tell you exactly where it is. Read this Mm. book, take these steps, Mm. do these things, you know, talk to this person here, you know, even my sponsor didn't give me exactly what to do, but they were just down there looking for the key with me and occasionally asking me a tough question like, oh, well, where did you lose it? You know, and- And that's, I I just love that about this story. And so like when it comes to finding your calm, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna look, I mean, the the first place that I looked is where I knew, you know, the light was and I'm stepping back from the harder and darker things, you know, and, um, and I actually found more calm in the dark place doing the hard work. And that's where it really gets tough because... You know, and you and I have both seen this, Todd, where we've encountered men in recovery who are doing the work, who are committed to it, who have experienced something hard and difficult and and ugly, could be in their own story, you know, in their lives, what, what they may have done, what may have been done to them. And then the water gets too cold and they take a step back. And it's it's pain like I, I don't say that with any sense of uh, I can't believe it you know or any sense of superiority but with a with a painful heart and a longing and yearning to see them continue in that work but but it gets hard we've seen people who stop you know who who aren't who aren't uh, who don't take this the the next step or stick with it long enough to see the miracle right right right. Yeah. Calm.
1: So I, again, this is what happens whenever Matt and I get together and we start not only the podcast, but especially the podcast, because we only have a framework of what we're going to say. And so I'm not at all surprised that part of Matt's response is exactly the core of my response, which was uh, in community. It's in community. For the first time in my life, when I entered recovery and started to do the work, learning how to apply principles and live steps, uh, the first thing that I was unprepared for was how much calmer i felt and right i felt doing it with other men because my life had been constructed of never letting men be part of that process that was too vulnerable that was too susceptible to harm Uh, i needed to uh, again, the chicken wire, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, had been, I had been building myself up. And in one of our episodes, we both talked about how uh, for a significant part of my life, it was not the David men that I pursued. It was the Goliaths. I wanted mm. to be a Goliath. And for the first time in my life here, I was in a room of David men. And oh my gosh, this is what it feels like to be calm. Like me being honest was calm. But there's another, an, another lesson in that as well. Nothing about insanity is calm. It's just comfortable. Mm. So part of the discussion about how do you find calm in this journey, how do you find calm in any journey where change or new, you have to take a different perception of calm. If you're looking for comfort, that is not calm. Calm can be comforting. But comfort doesn't always equate to calm. If you're living in any degree of insanity, and people who are listening to the podcast may go, well, I'm not insane like Todd was, (laughs) but you touched on it in a while. Look, we all have a nature, character defects, motives that largely live unconscious in our lives that we work very hard to either keep hidden or to repair the consequences when it shows up.
0: Mm.
1: Explain to me how that's calming. Mm. So if you're going to start in any change process, the calm for me ultimately became not only engaged in authenticity with men, but the promise of what this work meant for me. I've always enjoyed sports my whole life. And improving in sports requires a lot of hard work. Okay. What I always found was the part of hopefulness, whether it's working on music or working on sports is if I do this work, I will improve. That's the promise that keeps me coming back tomorrow. So if you're looking for comfort, right, you got to think about that differently than calm. Mm -hmm. Change is not calm. Change is a violent process in many ways. So it feels uncomfortable but if you connect to the promise of what this work is going to do for me and what it is doing for me, we call it celebrate recovery for a reason. That's why, again, the community shows up because not only am I sitting in a room with of men talking about my hurts, I'm talking about the same group of men with the fact that I didn't spin off in my habits last week. And I celebrate that. And that's promise. And that's for me became that sense of calm.
2: That's a great distinction between those two words. And I know you're a pedantic, so I, I appreciate I, um, that about you. pedantic. In, in many ways, for me, calm came in the form of a person or people. Hmm. So, you, And you can't begin transformation until there's self-acceptance. It's another yep. banner. quote. Perhaps the greatest gift for me of Celebrate Recovery was there was a community that said, we see you, you're safe here, we love you. So the message learned was not I can do this, mm-hmm. but we are with you. And, and that was a, an important thing that I had to recognize, not just at, at Celebrate Recovery, but in my own relationship with you, Noel, where it was not um, we are uh, on opposite sides of the table, you know, fighting each other, mm-hmm. fighting each other because I'm the problem, you okay. know, fighting with you, but we're on the same side. Of the table we are next to one another you know it's that and i i've referenced this uh a number of times actually in in my first step study and that is like that scene at the end of avengers uh, Endgame, which, uh, if you haven't seen it, you know. I What's mean, wrong with you. I'm sorry. This will be a spoiler alert. I don't know what the overlap of yeah. Avengers fans and Find Your Calm podcast fans is, but I
0: don't know because I don't think I've seen it. So. Just, you're
2: kidding. Anyway, well, at the end, you know, Captain America is beat up. He is, he is fighting Thanos, and they they are uh, defeat is looming. This shield is broken, and and then he hears uh, in his in his earpiece, uh, Captain on your left, and all of a sudden, you know, the music swells, and all of these people, you know, all these other Avengers show up, and then for the first time, you know, Captain America gives you know his charge, which is what he was known for in the comics, and it's an incredible. I don't know how they did it, you know, it's incredibly emotional. You know, moment within the films of what all 58, you know, movies that they had made prior, you know, was leading to this point. But, um, but that's what it felt like like that the calm showed up in the form of people, you know, and it, and uh, that's why uh, in my sub study, there there were people that they they didn't call me Captain America. They called me Captain Mexico. (laughs) I'm Latino. So, you know, that was, that was where calm showed up. The calm was
1: understanding that. I had never felt calm doing the chicken wire. Hmm. It was comfortable. It wasn't calm. Uh, it was violent in its own way, and partly because if if I lose like your string analogy, mm-hmm. like if it slips at all, I'm I'm gonna kind of at least temporarily go to pieces. Yep. And yep. that's and yeah, that's you're what you're gonna I'm, have that wave all, in your arms. Yep. You, you know? get all yep. kind of janky and loose <laughs> and wobbly. You know, fiddly, as English Rob would say it. <laughs> Uh, and and that's terrifying. That's not calm. And then when I went, oh, there I am in pieces. And like Matt said, guys came up around me and said, Yeah. So let's let's put you back together, right? Let's work together and, and, and let Jesus Christ be at the center of everything that you're gonna do now. That was like, oh, you mean I'm not responsible for holding myself together? Mm-hmm. What's that first principle? Yeah. Realize I am mm-hmm. not God. I am powerless. Mm-hmm. It was a dangerous word for my entire life until I finally said, Oh, that's why I can't ever rest. Mm-hmm. Because I think I have to have power over myself.
2: Yeah, there's so much tension in that early part where you're uh where you're I mean, at least for me, I was so used to putting all the energy into holding up. Oh gosh, yes. And then now on the floor and but that's a That's the right place to start. That's the right reality to start with. Realize you know, that principle one, realize I'm not God, I'm powerless.
1: And then as the work, as the work goes on, the understanding of true calm just just takes a different, just a wholly different understanding for me. Calm was no longer, okay, I have my lies in place. Hmm. Calm is calm is I show up. I show up and I may not get it right, but I've got the promise of the next thing I learn. Is a part of the promise, and that's always looming. That's a much better sense of calm. Much better sense of calm.
2: Yeah, all the parts of me get to come with. Yep. Mm. You know, I'll, I, everything gets to come with. It's not you know, this goes over here. This goes over here. Everything gets to come with.
0: Yeah, I think those are really powerful distinctions, and even remembering back to those early days, Matt, of you starting recovery and kind of having this. You know, I felt from you this sense of like wanting things to go back to normal wanting things to go back to peaceful. Our home was so peaceful. We (laughs) just had such a peaceful home Mm -hmm. and suddenly there was no peace in our home. And it felt like a complete absence of calm. Like it was just chaotic, emotionally, relationally, financially. I mean, everything about our life was chaos. And I had this distinct sense, you know, and just understanding, like, we're not going back to that. And that was never real to begin with. So many of the things that felt like peace were an illusion. And so what I talk often about when I when I talk about finding your calm it's not it's not comfort. It's not everything's right. great. Everything we're just going to come through the other side of the storm and it's perfect again. It's this groundedness. It's that mm. yes, everything is raging, but I'm okay. Yep. And that doesn't mean I feel good. It doesn't mean everything's easy. It's nice when those things coincide, right? It's nice when calm is has a comfort to it, has a yeah. joy to it. You know, you talked about getting to the point where, yeah, it does get the the feelings change. But I often, my first episode, I talk about the story and I refer back to this in my mind all the time, this experience on a boat that tipped until I lost the horizon, right? And that horizon's very grounding. You know, that's the thing we're told to look to. Well, when the boat's tipping, look to the horizon and it vanished. And that's what I felt like in that season, that horizon vanished. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm looking around going, how do I get my bearings? Without the horizon, what's going to orient me? What's going to calm me, right? The boat's still tipping. And I just, I looked to the people on the boat who'd been on it before or who, you know, Matt's dad was in the Navy. You know, these people who knew. And they gave me this sense of, we're fine. Like, we're not going to die. It feels terrible. Boat kept rocking, kept losing the horizon. It didn't feel great. This guy was going to vomit. I mean, Matt was like, Dude, I was literally...
2: (laughs) All colors but brown. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like it was my rough. normal color is brown. My brother and <laughs> I was not brown <laughs> that day. And if and if suddenly, you suddenly I'm to, the
0: dark skin person, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>
2: dude. If, if you want to go out there, l- listeners. If you want to go out there, l- just Google manly. Okay, manly fairy waves, and you will oh, know yeah. exactly what I'm talking about because there's like some great pictures. Yeah, and this is like a normal. You know, it's because that boat that the Manly Ferry in in Australia goes from Manly, you know, uh, in Australia all the way over to Sydney and it crosses where the the ocean heads. So where the ocean rolls in and brother, that is not okay for this landlubber. (laughs) Matt was beige. It was no bueno. (laughs) I was like and I think the kids in that moment, they, they came by and they were like, hey, dad, you know, and I just I just held up a hand just like. No, Shut I, I couldn't even say anything. Your, your sound waves are making me nauseous. <laughs> it was so like that. There was that that one day was like really rough, and and you know, I I didn't have the same experience <laughs> that you did because I, I had my eyes closed. I didn't see. I wasn't open. I was just
1: there, there's focused. A, There's another part of that that transition from that transition through chaos to understanding calm in a different light. For, mm-hmm. Just again, this is me, but I'm compelled to share this because this is what I know happens because I have been with men when they've been through that transition in step study and recovery and in discipleship. There's this. I can, I can, can. For me, it's feathers. You guys both know the significance of feathers. I'm telling you right now, this is what I know, that when you accept that you're fragmented, when you accept that you're chaotic, when you accept that you've lost sight of the horizon, you can do nothing to get it back, mm-hmm. and you're not supposed to, that's when surrender happens. And for me, over the following two years after I embarked in recovery, time and time again, when I was hitting the next level of rock bottom, he showed up. And for the first time in my life, which is why I go back to, I needed to start at the completely fragmented level to be real, rebuilt, is I didn't know God's presence because I was grabbing chicken wire. Mm. And when I finally reached the point where I needed to know that I was held time and time again, very clear messages, I'm here, I'm with you. This is the you that I've been wanting to build for a long time. That was just a message that I heard over and over in my head. And I don't share that. And every time I share this stuff, I, I know that there's somebody listening who goes, know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm a lucky you, right? That stuff doesn't happen to me. Hey, I was you. I was you. And uh, I just, you surrender, he shows up. So that perpetuating calm. It would be revisited every once in a while because there'd be a feather on the ground it would just be i'm here right you don't have to do this work by yourself i got you you're loved this is the you i've always wanted to build that was a clear message for me for two straight years and it still continues still continues Mm.
0: i love that so final question What would you say to the person who's listening and that's got a sense of like, you know, maybe it's real clear and maybe it's more of a whisper kind of in the back of their mind. But like, oh, you know what, the way you're describing this, like I do, I do carry some hurt. You know, there's some hurt in my life that I'm not sure what to do with or there's some habits, you know, for me, like one of those habits I identified early was just just anger. You know, I think every mom relates to this of like our kids shock us at the way we have some anger that comes out. Like, where did that come from? Um, we all have those things, right. But for the listener, that's really kind of, that's coming front of mind, have that habit or that thing that I'm stuck in, you know, whether it's a thought pattern or a behavior pattern or, you know, whatever it is. And they want, okay, like this, this feels like a lot, you know, you've thrown a lot of content out, which is amazing. A lot of experience and feelings and all the things, but what would be a, just a one small uh, faithful step? Forward, Matt, you, what did you say? Every step is a,
2: every step in arrival,
0: every step in arrival. I love that. So what yeah. would just be a, a just simple, faithful step forward for someone?
2: So there, there's a few things that were really practical that, that I engaged in on a, on a regular basis uh, that were introduced just in my recovery or in my counseling that, that made a huge difference in finding some calm. Uh, the first, you know, was uh, just learning to breathe, and just doing a box breathing of four, you know, four seconds in, hold four, breathe out four, hold four, you know, and and I had to do that every day. So I started my day with learning to breathe and slowing down. And it felt like a huge monumental waste of my time. <laughs> but I would do it for five minutes, which actually when, you're, when a full breath takes 16 seconds, it's not that many breaths to get to five minutes. You know, yeah. it happens. Um, you know, and I counted them, okay, because I was like, <laughs> how long do I have to do this? But, but eventually I started doing uh, a body scan, which is a mindfulness practice. Um, almost every morning for months, I, I did this, and I used uh, one. It's available for free on um, on the app Insight Timer, and the person who leads it is his name is David Palouse. And it's a they have a long one, which is like almost sixty minutes, and a short one, which is twenty. I went for twenty, <laughs> as you might guess.
0: Yeah. Oh my word.
2: You know, and I did that every. I just woke up early. You know, find a quiet place. But the reason that it's helpful, a New Life Church, um, Rich Viotas and uh, Peter Skarsrow, the uh, pastors there, has a saying that our bodies are major prophets, not minor ones.
0: Mm. Oh, gosh.
2: So our bodies contain knowledge that often takes our rational minds hours, days, weeks, or even months to decipher. And I was completely disconnected from what those messages were. And so that body scan and mindfulness is a really helpful and faithful next step. If you want to engage in that, that's a great practice. And then I would say like more on the spiritual side, because you're probably wondering like, well, well, um, that sounds really
0: woody-doo doo. You know. <laughs> That's like, exactly what I thought. Woody doo dee doo
2: Who's that? Who's that clown in the bozo show or whatever? Or whatever, or was that on howdy doody? <laughs> Stop it. Don't ever make that sound again. What was that? Oh man. But if you're if you're wondering, like, okay, well, where where does this make an impact? You know, I would I would encourage you to try any one of those. But another one. Another practice, and it was a spiritual discipline, and that was just practicing the presence of God. So I had to recognize that the church, like the four walls, the building, you know, of the church carries weight in my story. It's spiritual authority, the building itself. So I had to unlearn that and recognize the presence of God outside of the church, in particular outside of the altar, you know, and with me. So instead of like leveraging a quiet time or bible study of which I had dedicated the better part of 20 years of my life, you know, as a pastor, as a as a seminary student, you know, I turned to a new practice of attention. And I have not mastered this by any means. I don't share this as an expert, but I started engaging in it. And the spiritual discipline of practicing the presence of God is carrying on habitual silent and secret conversation with God and allowing that to fill you with overwhelming joy. Because when we walk in the presence of God, the busiest moment of the day is no different from the quiet of an altar. So even in the midst of noise and clutter, we have four children and a dog and busy lives that need – we have to meet for calendar, homies, okay? We have calendar true. meetings. Yeah. Um, just so yeah. we don't
0: forget children somewhere. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. even Which to just like happened. accomplish things. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's not, we're not making great strides here, you know, <laughs> but like people's voices are coming at us from every different direction. You know, we have, we, we got these watches now that have notifications. Our phone have notifications. We have, you know, it's like, so asking people are asking for our help, you know, for mm-hmm. different things. Our kids are asking, but now, in, in practicing God's presence, I can possess God with the same serenity wherever I am in the midst of that chaos of life as if I was on my knees in church. And so recovery for me was in many ways unlearning. And and I was unlearning, you know, habits and routines that I had built up from a spiritual perspective and from a faith perspective. And one of those calming practices was Uh also unlearning prayer. I guess I'm putting in a fourth here, you know. Um, this is the bonus. You know, this is the bonus round at the end of the workout that you're like, what? There's another minute? That's lame. But there's a there's a contemplative prayer of rest. It's I I again I I use lots of words I don't know how to pronounce. Um I think it's hesychasm. I don't know if that sounds too much like a Lizzo song or not, but <laughs> what? Yo, yo, yo.
0: In a minute.
2: <laughs> in a minute, I'm going to need a hesychasm <laughs> to pump me up. Oh, my God. Oh, goodness. I think I just pulled my hesychasm. <laughs> <laughs> <Wait a minute. laughs> what in the world? But it has its roots in uh, not an evangelical tradition, but in the Desert Fathers and oh. in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. And a friend introduced this to me actually long before recovery. Uh, and I've returned to it time and time again. And I've used it's called the Jesus Prayer. So if you have ever heard of that, um, it is a way to enter into contemplation in just saying slowly and with intention, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this, the roots of this prayer tradition are Matthew 6, 6, which actually has to do with that story uh, that Benner told you know, that that I referenced of Nasruddin of, you know, when you go, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so those are some practices that I have routinely come back to and am working in my recovery.
0: That's good. I love faithful steps that are practices that are just kind of grounding things we can return to. Um, how about you, Tad? A next faithful step. I got nothing. No. Nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, it's not going to sound, it's not going to sound Jesus-y, but it is because I've come to understand that this is the ground floor of grace. Um, it's become the neutral observer. Hmm. Uh, I, like I said, I was well acquainted with shame because when I saw, Vulnerable, I shamed it when I saw misbehaving, I shamed it. When I saw weak, I shamed it uh, over time, what we shame the most is what stays most hidden uh Ben I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but Benner basically says it, the power the, the power of spiritual transformation has to include in it not not that you are not a sinner, but that you are a sinner completely loved mm. And it doesn't mean that Jesus goes, hey, it's okay. You know, I got you. You go ahead and sin away. That's not what that means. What it means is, look, those parts of you that you shame, that you don't like, that you bury, that you hide because you judge it, Jesus knows them intimately. He doesn't excuse them, but he sees them and he sees them and still loves you. So if you can start to begin to see the things that you do, hear the things that you think without that immediate knee jerk reaction of that's bad. I have to stop that. Okay. There's a reason it never changes because when you say that's bad, that's, that's running the dog off to its doghouse. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're not in control of it. It's still actually controlling you. So I would say practice how to be the neutral observer. When you recognize a thought pattern, when you feel an emotion, say, that's what that is. Okay. I'm going to let it, allow it to stay here for a little while. Don't run it into the doghouse.
0: Mm. It's so hard to do. That sounds easy. Right. It's hard. Yep. It's hard on learning things. Um, and then of course, if, you know, as we've been talking about the ministry of celebrate recovery, if that's a next faithful step for someone um, you can go to the website, right? And Absolutely. they, they tell yep. you your closest, they have them everywhere. They're incredible communities, but Um, Matt and Todd, thank you so much for sharing your insight, your perspectives. I know we've barely scratched the surface of this topic. Again, we could go on and on. And you guys do a great job of that in your podcast of getting into this topic of recovery more. Um, But I'm really grateful that I can point listeners into that direction um, where you do a deeper dive into recovery in your podcast called The Recovery Guys right? Which is aptly named, uh, what it is, what it isn't, what you've learned, what you're learning. Um, and you gave us earlier, just a quick summary of what you're diving into in the second season, which is starting launching. I know you've recorded.
2: It's coming soon.
0: Coming soon. Probably. theater
2: near you. Probably by the time
0: you're listening to this episode, uh, the second.
2: Season may be out. Season should be out and
0: you're starting, you're, you're going through the steps. Of Go to the, eight the, principles. Principles. To the eight
2: principles. Of principles, recovery. not steps.
0: Yeah. Very good. Um, and that first one is what
2: realize, realize I am, am not
1: God. God. I am powerless to to stop doing the things that I know are wrong. Which you guys yeah. touched on, which is a
0: great place to start. Which
1: sounds so easy, so right?
0: Easy. Of course, oh, I know I'm not God, but do right, you really? Right. Do you really? Yeah. So. Those of you who are listening, honestly, go check out the Recovery Guys podcast. I'm a subscriber. I'm an avid listener, and I learned so much from Matt and Todd, so I know you will, too. So, yeah, thank you guys for joining us, me, here. It's been fun.
2: Thanks for the invitation to be part of this. It was really fun. You know, normally when when Todd and I do this, it's just the two of us goofing around for a long time, so it was was great to have a neutral observer. Yes, (laughs) yes, absolutely. And, you know,
1: I just want to honor... I just want to honor your work, Noelle. I've known Noelle actually in some ways less time than I've known Matt because Mm -hmm. Matt and I have been in relationship together. But I know that you've done work and I know I've seen you continue to do work. So I just want to honor that in you. Uh, And I honor the fact that you are reaching people who um, are seeking. Uh, So it's an honor for us to be a part of just your little journey. And I just really honor the work that you've done and the, the glory that it brings to God, especially.
0: Well, I always close with a practice, a next faithful step forward in finding your calm. And today I've asked Matt to lead us through a practice and I'm looking forward to participating in this practice instead of my usual posture of leading it.
2: For today's practice, we are going to focus on contemplative prayer. There's some wonderful practical guidelines for this in both of Rich Fiotis's books, most recently, his book, Good and Beautiful and Kind. And I'm adapting the practice therein for our purposes today. Start by placing your feet solidly on the floor. This reminds you that contemplative prayer is not to lift you out of this world, but to help you remain connected to this world, but from a different center. Settle in, take a few deep breaths, and open your palms as an expression of opening yourself to God's presence and God's love. Hands out. Palms up. At this time, you can set your phone timer for a few minutes. It's perfectly normal to see how much time has passed. Don't worry if you feel like 10 minutes has gone by when it's only been a few seconds. Now that you're ready, Choose a word or phrase to return to. I often return to the name Jesus or savior. Maybe today you need to return to something as simple as, Lord, here I am, or peace. Return to this word or phrase in a whisper as you sit in the quiet. We are human and being distracted is not a sign of failure. So when you can't shake a particular distracting thought, like an errand or question or idea or worry, or even an imaginary conversation with someone you're at odds with, you may want to pause to write down an important next step to take after this time of contemplation after your timer goes off, slowly read an excerpt from one of the Gospels or meditate on a psalm or two, paying attention to what God might be saying to you. For today, I'll read a few verses from Ephesians 4 and 5. Brothers and sisters, be kind to one another, compassionate forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. Be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and handed himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to God for our fragrant aroma. Live as children of the light. When something resonates, friends, write out a prayer or words of reflection in your journal. Your entry may be two sentences. It may be two pages. And after writing, slowly pray the Lord's prayer and close with a moment of silence. Our father who art in heaven.
0: I hope this practice has been life-giving for you and that it's a rhythm you return to in the coming days. Thank you for joining us today for Season 2, Episode 5 of the Find Your Calm Podcast. I hope you were able to unburden yourself, to get your bearings, find your focus, and begin to enjoy or at least truly experience that life that is within and around you. Life is chaotic. We know this to be true. But even in the midst of chaos, you can find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram as Noelle C. Guevara. Give me a follow, send me a DM, start a conversation. I would also love it if you would join my little community by signing up for my monthly newsletter. Every month I go deeper into helping you find your calm by sharing practical tips. Things helping me find my calm right now in this season or at times I get more personal and in-depth about something I've shared on the podcast. If you're looking for more practical and personal ways to find your calm, then head to my website, noelcquevara.com, and sign up for my newsletter. Until next time, I'm Noel C. Guevara, and I'm so grateful to be your host and guide as we navigate the chaos of life together.